Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I love the words of Jesus. And we're talking about that uh, for a while. And I'm awfully glad to welcome back to the show Dr. Eric Taunas. He was born in a small village to young parents and went on to be professor and chair of theology at Biola University. Eric, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Good to be with you again. Yeah, I love that we are going to discuss the words of Jesus, and uh, yes. this is a the Word of God is living and active. I keep saying that so many people, uh, when they in, get involved in Scripture, they they don't always focus on the words of Jesus. They they read all kinds of uh, what Paul teaches, and it's all great. But I just wanted to focus on the words of Jesus. Yeah, they, of course, Jesus is what the Bible's all about. And so paying attention to the Gospels is incredibly important. I mean, all, all the Bible's the Word of God and equally authoritative, but paying attention to the one that it's all about certainly has value. Yeah. So I'm very curious as to where you're going to be uh, taking us today and what we're going to be uh, teaching on. Yeah, well, Luke 14 is, uh, something that I've been pondering quite a bit these days. So I'll just, I'll take us there and then we can talk about whatever within here you'd like to pull out, Bill. But okay. let, me, let me just read Luke 14, starting at verse 25. A little context is helpful where it says in Luke 14, 25, I'm, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Yeah, that's, that's what I, I'm impressed by these days that I just wanted to bring to your listeners' ears. Yeah. Now, if you are not a student of God's word and you read that or heard that, you would go, this is, this is what Jesus said. You have to hate your mother and father. I've got a problem with this. (laughs) Yes, indeed. And, and Jesus wants you to have a problem with it. (laughs) That's why he said it. And then the people who heard him had a problem with it. And that's his point. He he really is wanting to stir the pot here and, and, confront us, upset us, challenge us to consider whether or not our loves are rightly ordered. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything that is competing with him as the ultimate love, the one who indeed is preeminent as Colossians 1 describes him. And yeah, so it's, it's, so, uh, so it's he, a radical statement. Yeah, so Eric, he's quite okay with pushing the envelope a little bit here. Yeah, this idea that Jesus was just a nice guy who just said things only like consider the lilies is really missing <laughs> the fact that, that Jesus said stuff that got him murdered. And he said, the world hates me and it'll hate you too. And he, he 
He is not concerned about popularity on any shallow level. That's why the context of verse 25 was so important. The great crowds accompanied him. And he would often look at these crowds following him and say, you know what, it's time to thin out the crowd. And he, he would give challenging messages to say, oh, you want to follow me? You, you know I have nowhere to lay my head, right? <laughs> you, know, you know my journey's heading to a cross, right? He, he's not interested in shallow popularity. Mm-hmm. He is, is always interested in dismantling fake success, shallow worldly definitions of success. And he'll blow that up. He'll intentionally reduce his popularity for meaningful relationship and the truth rather than the show of success. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about so many things at once right now. There is obviously he is rattling some cages here, which I love. Um, he's thinning the crowd. He's uh, ma- making a very bold statement, but he says, hate your father and mother and your wife and children and brothers and sisters and right. even your own even your own life or you cannot be my disciple so how do we in uh how do we today figure that out how do we make that work today yeah so these crowds are following him and i, I read one commentator who said jesus was never looking for just spectators he wanted recruits and there's a big difference in what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of your listeners may be familiar with the martyred missionary at the age of 27 in Ecuador, Jim Elliott, who wrote as a college student, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that's what Jesus is trying to instill in us. Look, you've got to have relatively, a, a relative devotion. You, you've got to have me as your ultimate devotion. doesn't mean you, you literally hate your your closest loves right. were commanded to love uh, even our enemies, never mind our wives and our, our family, we're honor our mother and father. So he's obviously trying to make a radical statement for us to make sure he's preeminent, where we, we value nothing in the same category as Jesus. And that actually enables us to love the, the people and the things we're supposed to love the way we're supposed to. Mm-hmm. without them becoming idols, competing with Jesus as the ultimate object of our affection, with even his, his great gifts like wives and parents and children give us. But he's saying, look, if anything rivals me for your ultimate devotion, you're, you've got disordered loves, and, and that's, that needs to change. Mm-hmm. Dr. Eric Thomas is my guest. He is professor and chair of theology at Biola University. And when I think of hating your father and mother and wife and kids, was it Augustine, Eric, that talked about disordered loves? It's not that you like bad things, yeah. but you like good things too much. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly it. That, that is an Augustinian idea that uh, the problem fundamentally is that we have disordered loves. There, there are loves that are out of order in their proportional importance to us. And Jesus is saying that it's very easy for even good gifts like a wonderful wife like I have to become something that competes with Jesus. And, and I was just talking to a young man the other day, and, and I said, what you need to do is find a woman who will never love you more than Jesus. And, and that, that was a, an interesting thought for him. But, but that's the thing. The best thing for all of us is to have rightly ordered lives, to, to love God 
far more than anything else. And that actually puts our loves in the proper order so we can love the way we're designed to rather than in an idolatrous, disordered way. Mm -hmm. And this passage in Luke 14, Eric, doesn't really give us any results as to the number of recruits that day. No, no. And that's not where the emphasis is. That that's a great point that, but the fact that the, how much the crowd thinned out <laughs> isn't even, isn't even the point you can count on it thinned out. You know, I think it, um, and John, when, when Jesus is saying some really hard things and he says, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood and no one comes to the father apart from him being drawn in. And it says, and this hard teaching was too much for some and they left. And he turns to his disciples and you kind of expect them to say, please don't leave too. And he says, were you thinking of going as well? It's sort of like, you know, if you've been thinking of bailing, this is probably the best time to do it. <laughs> and I, and I, I love Peter's, I love Peter's response because Peter says, "Where else are we going to go? You know, you alone have the words of eternal life. It, it, you're the holy one of God." And I hear in that Peter saying, "You know, I don't, I don't like this a whole lot either." And I'm not saying I really understand it yet either, but. Jesus, we're betting a ranch on you. And so, so we got, we, we've said goodbye to all our other options. And that's what Jesus is getting at there, and that's what he get, he's getting at frequently in this passage. So he doesn't just say your closest relationships need to be relatively marginal compared to your love for Jesus. He's saying your own life. And there's so many things like this in the kingdom. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it won't bear fruit. The first will be last. The last will be first. The greatest in the kingdom is the least of all. It's this upside-down kingdom where, where the way up is down. And getting your priorities right, where Jesus is indeed preeminent, just like it says in Colossians, mm-hmm. that, that everything is, is by him and for him and through him. And, and that sort of radical reorientation of our loves where Jesus indeed is preeminent is what he's after here. Eric, I would love to hear the audio tape of Jesus delivering that verse, that line. <laughs> I know. I mean, well, I'll tell you, every, yeah. I mean, I, I'd just love to hear the tone in which he delivered that. I know. Well, Bill, every time I preach, you can't get inside the, the pathos, the, the right. exact emotions or the tone of Jesus. But man, I try. I, <laughs> I try. I, I, try, I, I want to give respect and not just the words of Jesus, but, but anyone who's speaking. I want to get inside as much as I can what's going on there and communicate it with, with a, a level of emotion or intensity or righteous indignation or compassion. And it can, it's not always exactly easy to figure that out. I remember a friend of ours, we have reading services at our church and we were reading through the book of Acts and, and one of our reading services, we did the whole thing in one shot. And my, our, my good friend, Kenny said, could I please read Stephen in Acts seven when he's martyred as he, he rebukes the leaders and goes through the history of Israel. And, and he really wanted to do that. And I'll never forget it because he did it. And he gets to the point where Stephen recounts the history of Israel, where all the times the leaders rejected God's chosen prophets. And he turns to him and he said, and you haven't changed. You're no different. You're still rejecting God's prophet in Christ. And I remember thinking I would read that with all of this righteous indignation. <laughs> and, and, and Kenny, Kenny read it with a broken heart. He literally started weeping, my oh, friend, wow. and, 
because these are his people he's talking to. And once again, they're rejecting and he starts weeping. Kenny couldn't get it together for like two minutes, which is an eternity in those kinds of situations. (laughs) But it made a huge impression on me because I thought, you know, I can't just bring my personality in the way I would have said that. I really need as much as possible to figure out the tone, the attitude, the emotion behind this and, and, and give it respect when I read it and when I preach it. All right, Dr. Eric Tonis is my guest. We're uh, in our uh, Words of Jesus series. This is Living and Active, and we're going to return to continue to talk about Luke chapter 14. And we'll be right back. would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio changed the way you think about something or even how you live. We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. We are in our Words of Jesus series. Dr. Eric Tonis is my guest. We're in Luke chapter 14. And Eric, I'd love to move on just a little bit, if if you don't mind. Sure. In verse 27, it says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after um, me cannot be my disciple. I don't know if I know exactly how to understand that verse, uh, bear his own cross. Right. So when, when you begin a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't just bring forgiveness of sins and his righteousness and his resurrection power, which it certainly does. So we're forgiven, we're righteous, we're adopted. It begins a relationship and a journey in walking with Jesus. And we, we can never forget that not only is he the victorious Lord, he's also the man of sorrows. And in this fallen world, following Jesus includes a resolute commitment to suffer with him which is part of the Christian life. And so in some ways, our lives get much harder when we become Christians. We, we enter not just a family, but an army, and we acquire enemies we just didn't have before. Oh, that's interesting. And, we, and we, we enter a war that we had been conscientious objectors to before <laughs> and, and weren't part of. And mm-hmm. we, went to, we were in Canada, basically. And so we, uh, we, we now are taking on a, a, a difficulty in life that we didn't before. And Jesus' whole ministry is heading toward Jerusalem. It, the Gospels say he set his face to Jerusalem like the prophets did when they had arduous journeys and, and being faithful to God. But he sets his face to Jerusalem. That's where his whole ministry is heading so he can take on the sins of the world. And we'll never take on the sins of the world, but we will take on a, a difficulty, a challenge, a um, a suffering in this life that comes with being Jesus' disciples. That includes persecution. And that's a really important concept in this because Jesus is looking at these followers knowing that if you follow me, 
yes, you will find life abundant like you never would have. You'll find life eternal, but you're also going to be persecuted. I mean, 11 of his 12 apostles are, are murdered mm-hmm. for their faith. And John's the only one who wasn't, and he lived in exile. We were told he was boiled in oil at one point, tortured. Yes. And so, so he's, he's preparing them for martyrdom. He's preparing them for persecution and, and being willing to, to give up anything to follow him. And it's amazing. A lot of us can't relate to this mother, father, family, sort of relative, almost hatred. But so many Christians through the history of the church, when they became followers of Jesus, said goodbye to their earthly families. They were disowned. They, they were written off. I remember we were in India and we met this young lady and the day she was baptized to be a Christian, her Hindu family disowned her and the pastor and his wife who led her to Christ became her new parents. And so that's got a very real application to their lives and lots of Christians through the centuries. Most of us don't understand that level of devotion it's a. It's actually, it used to be, not so much now, but it used to be, if you're a good Christian, it could get you capital in the society. It would get you a job. Not so much anymore like it used to be. But, but for most Christians, in Jesus' immediate context in the history of the church, it, it was great sacrifice, great loss, even losing your family relationships because they reject you. So, Eric, even, even hearing this is so convicting. Uh, I'm wondering... The sacrifices that they were making are not the sacrifices that we're making. Although I love this analogy you gave of us outside of the family of God being conscientious objectors, like we're in Canada. Although we're playing, paying much more for magazines if we're in Canada, <laughs> <laughs> but, and that's we're not enjoying that. But uh, we are joining the army, and there is a and there is a cost, and there will be persecution because um, right now you've got the world, the flesh, and the devil after you. Right. And uh, maybe maybe our cost won't be as dramatic or severe as it has been for Jesus' apostles, disciples, or through Christians through the centuries. I mean, my, my great-uncle Mike, he became a Christian through the Ministry of Salvation Army, and his father said... You, you may never come home again. Wow. If you're going to be one of these salvationists, you may never step foot in this house again. Wow. And his father came home and caught him visiting his mother one time, and he tried to kill him. And when he went off to the mission field to serve in Timbuktu, believe it or not, that place actually exists. Um, <laughs> that sounds made he, up, but I like it. He, yeah, I know. He was going off to the mission field, and his father said to him, I hope those cannibals you're going to work with finish the job I tried to do. And so... That is just, that's, that's my family. So right in my family, wow. I've got a persecutor and a persecuted. And, and so Christians have always needed to be willing to have those kinds of rightly ordered loves. But you know, I've never experienced anything that dramatic. My, my parents love that I'm a follower of Jesus. It's, there's no greater joy for them. And so I don't have that challenge. But whatever it means for me on a daily basis, to say no to an earthly pleasure or an idol or something that would capture my heart. You know, it, it, it's, it's asking, what are my passions? What I really, do I want to be popular? Do I want to be well-liked? Do I want to be cool? Does my education give me my meaning or too much life image, sexual fulfillment, money, you know, athletic accomplishments, uh, my independence, my rights, my, my, even my, 
my healthy family that I may be able to, to be part of leading. I, these things can so easily become who I am and mm-hmm. will give me my life. And so, so what we sacrifice in the daily cross-bearing will look different for all of us. And, and it could be even just a, a, a overtaking of my heart in something that's good, that, that I need to relinquish to God. I remember when I was married about 18 months, and I have an amazing wife. I adore her. And I remembered imagining that she had died. And I have a vivid imagination. I was imagining how it would feel and what that would be like as a young married man. And I looked down, Bill, and my right hand was a fist. I couldn't believe it. I didn't do it on purpose. And I knew what that fist was. It was a fist in the face of God Mm. at the thought of him taking me from her. And I knew I needed to repent, that she was taking a grip on my heart as if she was ever mine in the first place. She's God's. And, and, And as if I couldn't live without her, right? Because God's the one taking care of me through her. And so, so that sort of idolatry that even... And it's sometimes the, the good gifts that are the most, that we're most susceptible to, to be idols. I mean, I know gambling my, my security away is stupid and sinful. I, I know, you know, taking heroin is stupid and sinful. Pornography is stupid and sinful. But, but my wife, oh, there's a gift from God. Well, even the greatest gifts of God can become competition for God mm-hmm. and, and things I value more than him. In little moments like that in my life, realize, whoa, this is this is getting a bit overboard here. I need I need to get this in check. is really important. Mm. Eric, I heard an author say, if you want to know what your idols are, just look at your nightmares. Oh, that's that's so good. You know, Tozer had a list of how you find out where your heart really is, and some of the things on the list were. Uh, who, who are your friends? Who are your heroes? What do you spend money on? Uh, what do you laugh at? Uh, all these good diagnostic tests of trying to figure out where my treasure really is, because Jesus said, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And my good friend Dave Talley and I will sit down and try to get in each other's lives. And the question we find ourselves asking is, you know, Eric, is there anything in your heart that get, that's giving you more life than it should be right now? And it could be admiration from people. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it, it can start to become more life-giving than it should be rather right. than God. And, and just so Calvin said the human heart is an idol factory. It yeah. takes the best gifts of God and somehow can turn them into idols. We do it food, we do it sex, we do it sports, recreation, our, our music, whatever it is, these amazing gifts from God, nature. Right, people who worship nature, these amazing gifts from God, from God can take the place of God in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our hearts weren't designed to receive that much glory; they were designed to give glory. Yes, exactly, that's most... and that's when we're happiest. Oh, absolutely. When we're not we're we're not glory cul de sacs, but you know, freeways <laughs> giving the glory to God. Yeah. All right, Eric. Let me take a short break. Doctor Eric yeah. Tonus is my guest, and we're in our. Uh, Words of Jesus series, Living and Active. We're in Luke chapter 14, if you have your Bibles open. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion. We are uh, in verse 25 is where we started. But when we come back, we will pick up around verse uh, 28. We'll be right back.
You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. I'm with Dr. Eric Tonis. Eric, do you have your own theme song? I didn't think so. No, I got to work on that. <laughs> you should start auditioning bands. <laughs> I'd want them to sound a little like Journey, I think. <laughs> yeah. That's my high school. Yeah. Well, it says a lot about uh, the era in which you grew up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. We are talking uh, to Dr. Eric Thomas today. Uh, he is a professor of theology at Biola, and we're in our red uh, words of Jesus, the words that you see in red in your Bible, if you have a red letter edition. We just love the words of Jesus. And I was asking Eric, what words of Jesus you've been thinking about, pondering about, what what especially animates you right now? And, and we're in Luke 14. And this thing started off really strong uh, when it talks about if any of you uh, come, comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Those are tough words. But if we move on, Eric, to verse 28, otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, oh, wait, now let me back up, for which all of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. How do you understand that? Yeah, so... You know, I, I think I should say at this point, it's easy to misunderstand what Jesus is saying here and miss the grace of the gospel. So we we got to make sure we're we're talking about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Amen. And Jesus accomplishes this. So last thing I would want to do is leave people with the impression that your relationship with Christ and and the benefits of, of being His depends on your level of devotion. It's got to be starting with and grounded in the finished work of Christ in his life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. And so when we have that gospel grounding for this, it never stops being grace and faith. It's like kind of like a marriage. The reason you decide to marry somebody is because you trust who they are and then you begin that marriage that requires a daily sacrificial ongoing relationship, but it, it still is, is something grounded in grace through faith. So it's never trying to earn something, demonstrate something, prove something like my effort doesn't do that. But when you really understand who Jesus is as the one who saved your life from certain eternal judgment and death, well, then he's everything to you. He's mm-hmm. not a really important part of your life. He is your life. He's the one who gave you your life, saved your life. And, and so now he is everything. He is indeed preeminent above all things. And so, so we ground this in the gospel. And then Jesus starts to expand on it, like you say. He, he gives these examples of the kinds of disciples he wants, ones who aren't foolishly planning something without counting the cost, or, or don't, don't be a builder who doesn't have what he needs to build a tower and he starts building it anyway. You know, their whole websites, you can go to famous unfinished buildings <laughs> <laughs> where they had all mm-hmm. the, the, one of my favorites is the, there was one that, that um, Stalin wanted to build 
in Moscow that was going to be a, a monument to Lenin. And it, it, they had the competitions, and there's massive plans, and they built the foundation, and then World War II started, and it became the biggest swimming pool in the world. The foundation <laughs> did because it was just a, they were complete. They had to ravage the iron for the infrastructure of the country. But but so there are all these examples of exactly what Jesus is talking about. How foolish you look when you plan this elaborate building and you, and you don't have what it takes to, to pull it off. And then he says, and you're going to be some general who goes in, goes to war when he does not have any chance of winning because he doesn't have what it takes to do that. So don't be foolish. And what he's saying is, is, is if you're not in right relationship with me, if you don't really consider what it means to be my disciple and utterly depend on me for everything and then devote your life to following me and depending on me faithfully, then, then you're going to be a fool. And so he's just saying, I've got to be first. I've got to be first over everything in your lives, over your comfort, right? Everybody knew taking up your cross was a one-way journey and it was not a journey of comfort. Every, everybody who'd watched anybody go to the cross knew they weren't coming back. And that sort of resolute commitment to following Jesus as a one-way journey is what he's talking about in verse 27 there. And then he says, yeah, and I'm, I'm the Lord over your plans. I'm first over your plans. You better count the cost. You better not get into this thinking you're going to have all these loopholes and in ways out of following me with unreserved devotion. And then he finally is saying, look, you're, I'm, I'm first over your possessions. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And so give everything to me. And then he uses the salt analogy, the end there of what our lives are supposed to be like. So the, the main point he makes in 34 um, is in 35 is that not only are you foolish if you don't count the cost of following me, you're actually going to be unproductive. You're going to be lacking fruitfulness if you don't understand what real discipleship is. Mm-hmm. Eric, how have we done in our evangelical efforts talking to to people about coming to faith without the cost of doing it? Uh, yeah, that's a mixed bag. Uh, I, I, I think there are wonderful examples of helping people understand what true discipleship is, but I think far too often we have let a marketing mentality slip in and we preach the gospel with fine print. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I love about Jesus is he sh- he shoots straight. Yeah. He is not. Yeah. You ever watch those commercials for different medication? And it seems the older I get, the more they're targeting me with medications that I, they assume I need at this point on, on my website. But but it, it, when the guy's done saying how wonderful this medication is, they legally have to give all the side effects. <laughs> And the dude talks as fast as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. So you can't understand anything. Yeah. And you think, did he just say I'll have blood coming out my eyes? What, what did he just say? And, and you can't understand anything because he, he doesn't want you to hear it. Right. He doesn't want you to actually be able to hear the, the challenging parts of potentially taking this medication. Well, Jesus doesn't play that way. He's not some snake oil salesman who's trying to, to con you into following him. I have a friend who's an atheist. But he's a very successful businessman. He loves Christians. He's, he's just fantastic. And he comes over and he'll say, man, I, I love you Christians. You're keeping our society together. Keep up the good work, Eric, man. We'd be a mess without you. Then he, you know, but he doesn't feel personally like he wants to, to go there. <laughs> and he'll even come over and he'll say, 
he like he works on commission. He's a very successful salesman. He'll come over and say, "Hey, Eric, I was thinking of an angle you could use with the people at your church and at Biola to get those folks to commit more to the stuff you're all about." Have you ever tried this? And I'm like, you know what? You don't quite understand that what I call people to is to come and die. That that's what Jesus wants them to do. So your approach of sort of presenting it in a way where where it's appealing to to their shallow marketing consumerism is really not how I can put, do this because <laughs> Jesus never did. He, he's coming at you, not self-centered, not consumer mentality, no fine print, no, no pragmatic, you know, do this in your life. No health, wealth, prosperity, gospel. No, this, this in this fallen world means you come and die with me. And that's how you're going to find life. It is such a, powerful reminder, Eric, that is in fact the way Jesus was speaking, but he was doing it obviously with love um, and truth and grace, but he shot right from the hip. Yeah, and and I don't think he's shaking his finger at him. I even think he might have had a smile on his face and and, and saying with a whole lot of love, but, but with honest straightforward, double-barreled truth. Mm-hmm. So, if we look at verse 30, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Interesting illustration you had with that uh, building for Stalin. Um, but there is um, this idea that we have not counted the cost, and it's not a works salvation in any way. And I think it's always good to remind people of that. Um, mm-hmm. So, what what work are we looking at in this verse? What are we supposed to understand the work to be? In in the tower image, yes, yeah. So, so it's it's a sober look at what it really means to be a Christian. Uh, so we can we we can present the gospel as come to Jesus and your we we can say are you lonely? Well, if you come to Jesus, you won't be lonely. Do you have dysfunctional relationships in your family? Well, Jesus can be a reconciler and can sort those things out. Are you purposeless? Are you meaningless? Do you feel a sense of uh, poor self worth? And and we can appeal to all of those felt needs, which I think is fine to do at one level. But if we never get past that to say, okay, all those felt needs, I understand. And I'm, I'm compassionate. I'm sympathetic, but you've got to realize that by far your greatest need is reconciliation with your creator. And Jesus is the one who does that. And if that isn't what you realize is your deepest need, and what Jesus fundamentally brings you, you're going to be, be coming to him for things he may bring resolution to in your life, or he may not. You, you may spend the rest of your life with health challenges. You may spend the rest of your life with family situations that grieve you. He, he doesn't promise to fix all those things this side of his second coming, but he is what your life needs to be about. It, it can't be, a, a discipleship defined on me getting all my felt needs not met. Mm-hmm. It's got to be about Jesus becoming my life, whatever that means. I mean, read the Bible. So many people 
when they decide to be faithful to God, their lives on an earthly, pragmatic level get trashed. They get rejected. They get beaten. They get sawn into. I mean, read the great hall of faith in Romans 11. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, Hebrews, Hebrews 11. Yeah, Hebrews 11. They, 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 and, and then what does he say? The, the world wasn't worthy of these people. They weren't living just for this world. They were living for the next. So, so again, it doesn't mean that we don't seek to live redemptively as salt and light and want to experience the joy of God and the, the healing power, this side of eternity. But you can have what's called an overly realized eschatology that, that, that we're, we're not realizing that there still is a battle raging in this world. And as we follow Jesus, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to come with some difficulty, suffering, pain, and scars along the way. Paul's entire back was a big scar. Wow. I mean, wow. If, if you think about it, there's probably no unscarred parts of his back. Wow. 40 and, lashes, you know, three times. It just, yeah. he, he beaten with rods. I mean, just, yeah. And, and he says to the Galatians, his final trump card to the Galatians who are challenging his authority, he says, let no one bother me any longer because I bear the marks of Christ on my body. Mm-hmm. That his body looks like something like Jesus did after yeah. his beatings. And Eric, not to mention the back is a, is a hard place to get lotion on. It sure is, especially if you don't have a wife to help you. Like him. <laughs> yeah. Let me take a little break. Dr. Eric Tonis is my guest. We are in our Red Word series. If you have a red letter edition Bible, it'd be the red words spoken by Jesus. And we are in Luke chapter 14, the cost of discipleship. Every time we talk about discipleship and the cost of it, it's a very challenging discussion. So I'm glad you have joined us. And if you've missed any of this, I know you would be blessed to go to the very beginning and hear it from the start. And of course, you can do that at MyFaithRadio.com, the Afternoon with Bill show page. We'll get you there. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. I'm back with Dr. Eric Tonis. He spells his last name T-H-O-E-N-N-E-S. And he spells Eric, E-R-I-K. So he's the professor and chair of theology at Biola University. Always glad to have him on the show. So when we talk about the cost of discipleship, Eric, and the, the price of following Jesus, and we move it into our current day environment, where there are so many social and cultural issues that are dividing families and creating all kinds of tension and how difficult is it to continue to follow and the price that everybody is paying right now with broken families and division, whether it's a family or political division, or there's so many dynamics going on in the world right now. Yeah. And, and so many opinions that are really testing the unity of the church and, and the people of God. I mean, just 
all the different views on masking that we had during the COVID thing right. and the political issues and the, the social upheaval. And it can be so challenging to stay rightly prioritized on things because we're, we're called to be good citizens and salt and light, like Jesus says at the end of it. And, and to, with the midterm elections coming up, we should be responsible citizens taking advantage of that stewardship that we have to, to play a role in the way things go in our society. And you know, there'll be relative involvement of that, depending on what particular Christians are called to. But no matter what the details of our lives look like and the particularities of our calling, we need to be known for who it is we follow and who it is we're trusting. In. And I don't want to be known more for, for anything more than my dependence on Jesus and my love for him. I, I want to make sure that as, as passionate as I may be about my political views or my, my views of social issues or sports teams or whatever it is, music I like, I, I want my passion for Christ to so outweigh those things, relatively speaking, that, that people never mistake what I'm really ultimately all about. As we look at Luke 14, and we get down to verse 33, it says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And again, Jesus is hitting awfully hard in this passage in Luke 14. Uh, What are your thoughts about verse 33? Right, so he wants to be first. He wants to be first over our plans. He wants to be first over our comfort our families, everything. And in here, I think he's saying, I need to be first over your possessions. And, and there's nothing wrong with having possessions, even having great wealth. The question is how much of a grip does that have on you? If you were to lose it all, or if, or if, if you, you believe for whatever circumstance came upon you, that Jesus was calling you to give it all away how much of a grip does it have on your heart? And and that's why we need to give generously, regularly, so that our hands are being pried off the idolatry of our, our possessions. And Jesus preached about money all the time as, as a means by which you slay the idols in your heart and don't get your security from your 401k or your your possessions in, in any way. And so it's not saying you, you have to give everything away necessarily. He's saying you need to hold those things loosely. Those things can't be the source of your life. They can't be the source of your significance. They, they need to have a, a very loose, you need to have a loose hold on those things. Every time I see someone who has significant wealth who passes in the news and they have not led a, a Christ-centered life, I always think of Mark eight thirty six. What does it profit a man to win the whole world yet lose his own soul? Yeah. Now, of course, I don't know their destination of their soul, but I, you know, I did observe that there was not a faith life that they ever spoke about, and they acted in ways and spoke in ways which was not very affirming to a faith life. And you think you've got a lot of money now, you're gone, and now you're facing eternity. Right, and and the things of this world are fleeting. And we, we tend to so naturally gravitate to storing up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal rather than things that really last forever. And the word of God and people 
are what we need to make our priority as we think about the way we invest our life to, to the glory of God. And, and so often we don't, like you say, we, we leave it all behind and how we invested it in this life and how it gets invested when we're done. I, it always is gut wrenching me when I see someone who leaves a, their fortune to their dog because they so despise their own family. <laughs> and it's just gut wrenching to see that even at the end of your life, you, there, there can be this sense of, well, I'll just leave it to my dog because even my family relationships weren't <laughs> something worth giving to. Mm-hmm. When a, when you think of this passage in Luke 14, do you often find pastors uh, preaching this or do they sort of want to skip this passage from 25 to 33? Well, I don't know if I can generalize um, about where pastors are going. I, I know there can be such a concern that we soften, kind of domesticate the hard teachings of, of the Bible in general, that sometimes we do either avoid them or explain them away, mm-hmm. you know, say, oh, it's just hyperbole or that's just an overstatement and, and not realize, no, Jesus is really wanting to jolt you out of your complacency and maybe a worldliness that's crept into the way you think about eternal things. And, and so, yeah, I think we all have to fight an instinct to avoid things that will be offensive to people. That'll be hard to understand. It'll take some work, just like you and I are doing right now, to get beyond the surface. The Bible actually says one of the reasons Jesus tells parables is because he wants followers who are willing to think with him and and just get beyond the surface and not just expect things to come in an easily accessible way on my terms. And so Jesus is not going to throw pearls before swine. He, mm-hmm. he wants, he wants you to be willing to, to go deep with him and think deeply about these things. So I, I, my, one of my goals is to teach and preach in a way where if someone sits under my teaching for a time and then actually goes and reads the Bible for themselves, they'll never come to me and say, dude, you held out on me. You did not, <laughs> you didn't tell me what was there. Yeah. You were whole, you, you didn't respect me enough to tell me what God actually has put in his word. And now, now I have to go find it on my own. Yeah. I, I use car, car salesman is what you seem like when you're like that. Yeah. Eric, I feel like I've been seeing this passage today in a really a fresh way just because we've, we've jumped in and studied it like this. Um, it's very sobering. Well, I think, I, yeah. And I, you know, Bill, I think, I think God's pleased with what you and I have just been doing for the last hour. And I think that's actually one of the things Jesus is after. He's, he's, I mean, you and I are old enough to remember television before remote controls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was the remote control. Yeah, I mean, Dude, Bill, get yeah, up and change exactly. the channel. Get up and say, <laughs> you and I had to get up, walk across the room when our dad barked at us or when we just wanted to change it. I had three channels back in, in the Northeast. And, and, but we live in this age of the remote control now, and we can bring that mentality into truth. And you and I have been digging in. We've been, we've been trying to mine the, the, gold, the truth gold out of this passage. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons Jesus teaches this way. He wants us to say, what? What, what are you driving at? Right. And so that, that we, as the Holy Spirit leads us, dig into the word and, and hear Jesus 
for what he's saying. Yeah. And, and, and don't just say, nah, you got to make it easy, more easily accessible. Chew my food for me ahead of time. Yeah. And then I'll eat it. No, he wa- he wants us to bear down and really dig in and do, and do some, some mining. Yeah. Eric, we're about a minute left. What project are you working on right now? What, what book are you writing? What can I look forward to? Yeah, I actually am so thankful I have a research leave this spring, and I'm hoping to finish the book I've mentioned on, on one of our times together, 20 Things Christians Should Probably Stop Saying, a plea for biblical precision. <laughs> and then once I get that one done, I, I hope to dive into one on how we grow. We've, we actually talked about that on in one of the episodes here, too, mm-hmm. just the, the things we devote ourselves to to grow that have always been there in the Bible that we, we tend to just neglect. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Another perfect day in Southern California? Yes, sir. It certainly is. Yeah, I don't need to hear anymore. <laughs> that's, that's plenty. All right, Eric, All thank right. you so much once again for being on the show. I love having you as a guest, and my listeners well, love you, as do I. I love joining you too, brother. Thank you so much. You bet. Dr. Eric Tonis right. has been my guest. He is a professor and chair of theology at Biola University. Again, I'll spell you his name, E R I K. T-H-O-E-N-N-E-S. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for spending time with me. If you missed any of the show, you can always go to the website, myfaithradio.com, and you can download the podcast and listen to it when you want. Have a great night, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.